Let us all turn together to the Word of God. We're reading from Revelation this evening. Revelation chapter 21. What an encouragement the Word of God is. There is, as we thought for a little while this morning, there's no book like the Bible. The Word of God can lift your heart when you're cast down, when you feel you're walking alone in the valley. Why, the Lord is there. And we come across that expression in Scripture more than once. The Lord is there. That makes everything different. And we pray tonight as we read the Word and hear it too, that the Lord will draw graciously near and powerfully near. I pray the Lord will be with you all into the new year and see you through every, every day that stretches ahead of us in his will. Uh, we know that and we take a survey of this world and all that pertains to it. Uh, the world has nothing to offer. I would that backsliders would find that out and find it out before long. The world is nothing. The world is nothing for you if you're really a believer. Your hope, your life, your joy, everything is in Christ. And may the Lord help us with the reading tonight. Here's John suffering exile for Christ. And the Lord lifting his heart and lifting his vision. And what did he see in that vision? Verse 1, Revelation chapter 21. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away. And there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them. They shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them, and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. There shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things have passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said unto me, It is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. He that overcometh shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, 
he shall be my son. But the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. And there came unto me one of the seven angels, which had the seven vials full of the seven last plagues, and talked with me, saying, Come hither, I will show thee the bride, the Lamb's wife, And he, he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me that great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God having the glory of God. And her light was, unto, was like unto a stone most precious, even like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. And had a wall great and high, and had twelve gates, and at the gates twelve angels and names written thereon, which are the names of the twelve tribes of the children of Israel. And then we'll go to verse 22. And I saw no temple therein, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it. And the city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon, to shine in it. For the glory of God did lighten it. And the Lamb is the light thereof. And the nations of them which are saved shall walk in the light of it. And the kings of the earth do bring their glory and honour into it. And the gates of it shall not be shut at all by day, for there shall be no night there. And they shall bring the glory and honour of the nations into it. There shall in no wise enter into it anything that defileth, neither whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie. But they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. Amen. May the Lord bless his word as it's read and preached this night for his name's sake. Revelation chapter 21, and I want to draw your attention, please, to the words that are found in verse number 5, the first part of the verse. 
John says, And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. Behold, I make all things new. Let's unite our hearts together briefly. Let's call upon the Lord's great name. Pray that our God will be exalted and glorified and that our lives might be impacted by the Word of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank Thee tonight that in glory there's one who sits upon the throne. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down. And we thank Thee, O God, that Thy Son, our Savior, is exalted and enthroned and seated in glory, and all things are under His feet. He is the one who has got the very keys of death and hell in His girdle. We thank Thee that He is the one who is able to impart spiritual life. We thank Thee, O God, that He reigns as a mighty conqueror, Savior, Lord, and Master. And, O God, we pray tonight that in His name and for Thy glory, that Thou wilt exalt and magnify Thy Son, and grant, O God, that every individual here in this meeting and others that are joining us online, maybe right now or at some other time, O God, that we all might be gathered up together in the bundle of life and brought to the Savior's feet, that we might know that our souls are saved and have that assurance of heaven and home and that wonderful reality of walking with God. So, Lord, we pray that if there's somebody here tonight that's a stranger to God's grace and salvation, that Thou will draw them to the cross and grant that this might be the night of their conversion. Glorify the Lord Jesus Christ, for it's in His name and for His glory that we pray, asking for the infilling of the Spirit of God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. On this New Year's Eve, this last night of an old year, many people across the world, rightly so, will be wishing each other a happy New Year. And of course that's right and that's proper, and there's nothing wrong with that at all. But the reality is that for the vast majority, tomorrow morning life will be exactly the same as it is today. Nothing at all will change for the vast majority. Old habits die hard. January blues set in. And the harsh realities of life will confront us tomorrow as they have done every day in the year that has gone by. And for the vast majority, life will go on as normal and they will not experience this happiness that they are looking for. And then, of course, others will make New Year's resolutions. I'm going to eat less chocolate. I'm going to have a healthier diet. I'm going to try to get more sleep. I'm going to do more exercise. I'm going to spend less time on social media. I'm going to spend more time with my family. I'm going to concentrate on things that are of worth and things that are important. I'm, I'm going to try to be a better husband, a better wife, a better father, a better mother, a better daughter, a better son. I'm going to try to make sure that I don't get into any type of debt that's unnecessary. 
I'm going to try to be happier and I'm going to look after my home. And, and many of these New Year's resolutions will last but a, a short while and multitudes will discover that in and of themselves they do not really have the power or the discipline or the ability to make real and lasting changes. But here in Revelation chapter 21, the Apostle John, a prisoner, an exile on the Isle of Patmos for his faith in and his faithfulness to the Lord Jesus Christ is a prisoner. And in the visions of God, he sees the heavens opened. He sees things which presently are. He sees things which have been. And he still sees things which are to come. And central to it all in the visions of John in the book of Revelation is the Lamb, the Lord Jesus Christ in the midst of the throne. Jesus Christ our Lord is the great theme of the book of the Revelation. It all concerns the Savior, His person, His work, His glory, and the things that pertain to His coming and ultimately his reign for all of God's eternity. And what a book the book of Revelation is. And as John sees into heaven, in Revelation chapter 21 and verse number 5, he says, One sitting upon a throne. And the one that sits upon the throne makes this wonderful statement, Behold... I make all things new. Behold, I, I make all things new. Reigning upon the throne in glory. We're told in chapter 19 and verse number 6 that the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. The Lord God almighty reigneth. And he is the one, Jesus Christ our Lord, the Son of God, is the one who specializes in making all things new. He's able to make you a new man or a woman tonight. He's able to give you a new beginning. He's able to give you a new hope. He's able to give you a new assurance. He's able to give you a new future. He's able to give you a new purpose. He's able to give you a new destiny. Jesus Christ specializes in making all things new. What a statement that's almost inexhaustible whenever we consider the implications of this statement. Maybe you're here tonight and what you need more than anything is a new start in life, a new beginning with God, a new heart, a new life, a new future, a new hope, and a new destiny. Now I want to consider tonight from the Word of God some of the things that Jesus Christ has promised to make new and some of the things that he can do in our lives to make us new as well. In the context of our text tonight, you'll notice in verse number one that John says in this great chapter, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. So the first things that we see in this chapter of God's Word that are described as being new are the new heavens, 
the new earth, and then the new Jerusalem. And whenever we think of those three distinct entities collectively, it really speaks about the entire kingdom of heaven, the eternal state, God's eternal and God's everlasting kingdom. It begins with, of course, the new heavens. And I believe tonight, whenever it speaks there about the new heavens, it's, it's really speaking about the atmospheric heavens. You remember how in the book of Psalms, in Psalm 19, it says that the heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth His handiwork. Day unto day uttereth speech, and night unto night showeth knowledge, and their line has gone out throughout the whole earth. And whenever we think about the heavens in Scripture, so often it speaks about the atmospheric heaven, the sun, the moon, the stars, the constellations, the galaxies, the created universe. And God spoke it all into existence in a moment of time. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And here John says, and I saw a new heaven, a recreated universe, if you like. And Peter puts it this way in 2 Peter chapter 3, and verse number 13, he says, we, according to his promise, look for a new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. Every spot and every stain of the curse and of sin in this world and the universe at large is all going to be eradicated. And God is going to create through Jesus Christ a new heavens, a new universe. And I believe that's one small reason why the Bible says that the eye hath not seen, neither hath the ear heard. Neither hath it entered into the heart of man the things that God hath prepared for them that love him. The final glory will be universal in its scope and absolutely pure in its nature. A new heaven. But he also says, and a new earth. This new earth will be central to the new heavens. It'll be like the hub of the recreated universe a new earth, a world as God intended, a world without sin, and a world without suffering. That's why it says there in, in verse number four that God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are, are passed away. And the Lord says, I make all things new. And it's amazing to think that whenever the Bible describes heaven in the book of Revelation, so often it does so in negative terminology, speaking not just about the things that will be in heaven, but at great length about the things that will not be in heaven or in the new earth. It'll be a world as God intended. Central to the new heavens is the new earth. And central to the new earth is the new Jerusalem, the holy city descending from God out of the third heaven into this recreated universe, taking up its residence there in the, on the new earth and central to the new Jerusalem is the throne of God and the Lamb. And the Lamb shall reign from the new Jerusalem. 
He shall reign upon the earth. He shall reign in this new creation. And the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be all the glory in Emmanuel's land. You know, we have so much to look forward to whenever we consider heaven. I believe right now, if a, if a portal was open from this world into the next, and the Christian could see exactly where they were going, they wouldn't want to be in this earth for another minute. I believe you would just want to run into the, into the presence, the immediate presence of our God. In His presence there is fullness of joy. I wonder tonight, are you absolutely sure and absolutely certain that you're going to heaven? That you'll be there in the new Jerusalem, in the celestial city, with a great multitude that no man can number, praising and worshiping this wonderful Savior, this Lamb in the midst of the throne. I wonder tonight, will you be there in the new heavens, in the new earth, in the new Jerusalem, worshiping the one that says, Behold, I make all things new. We have to remind ourselves on the authority of the Bible that the new Jerusalem, the, the kingdom of heaven, the celestial city is exclusive. The Bible's abundantly clear that not everybody is going to heaven. In fact, it says that in the, the grand scheme of things that, that the road that leads to life is narrow and few there be that find it. The road that leads to destruction is broad and many are traveling that broad road. But the new heavens, the new earth, the new Jerusalem is for those who have experienced the new birth. Remember back there in John's Gospel chapter 3, we read about a certain man called Nicodemus. What a man Nicodemus was. You read about his credentials. The Bible says he was a Pharisee. He was a ruler of the Jews. He was a master in Israel. We also read later on in John's Gospel that Nicodemus was rich. So this was a man that was religious. This was a man that was respectable. This was a man that was rich. And yet the Bible says the same came to Jesus by night under the cover of darkness. I sometimes wonder why he went by night, not during the, not during the daylight hours. I think it was because he was timid perhaps, maybe shy, maybe a little bit embarrassed that here was one who was a ruler of the Jews, a master in Israel, who was supposed to have all of the answers about who God is and how to get to God, and how to know your sins are forgiven. And yet this Galilean carpenter steps onto the stage of world history and goes about doing good and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing the sick and delivering those oppressed by the devil and sitting with publicans and sinners and changing hearts and changing lives. And, and Nicodemus comes with curiosity and says, Master, we know that thou art a teacher sent from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. And what Rick Nicodemus was really asking was, who are you? What's the secret about this life that you're living? This authority that you have, this purity, this power, this magnetism, this love, this grace that you have, and he begins to ask the Lord these questions indirectly with these statements that he's making, 
And the Lord begins to unfold to Nicodemus the necessity of the new birth. Doesn't immediately answer his questions, but simply says to him, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. In other words, Nicodemus, the reason you've got all of these questions about who I am is you've never been born again. You're blind. You cannot see this spiritual kingdom that's that's very real, and you can't see it, and unless you're born again, you'll not see it. In fact, unless you're born again of water and of the Spirit, you'll never enter into the kingdom of God. Marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That's the first birth. But that which is born of the Spirit is Spirit. That's the second birth. That's the new birth. And the Lord was unfolding this great doctrine of regeneration. That you need to receive spiritual life. That Nicodemus, whenever you were born physically, you were still born spiritually. You were born without spiritual life. And you need to receive that spiritual life. And it only comes... From outside of yourself, as it says in John 1, that we need to be born of God or born from above. And he unfolds this wonderful truth of the new birth. Nicodemus, you're void of spiritual life and void of spiritual consciousness. Spiritually speaking, there's no life in you at all. But you need to be born again. You need to experience this new birth. And be born of God or born of the Spirit. Or as Peter puts it, the washing of water by regeneration or born again of incorruptible seed. Nicodemus, the Word of God is like seed. It needs to come alive in your heart and life. And you need to be born again of the the Spirit of God. And unless you're born again by God's Spirit, you can't see these things. You can't see God's kingdom and you can't enter into it. And if that's true, you'll never be there for in God's heaven. The new Jerusalem is for those who have experienced the new birth. I believe we have lost in the evangelical church so much of the implications of what it means to truly be born again of the Spirit of God. We hear a lot of talk about professions and praying prayers and all of those things that I suppose, yes, have their place. But friends, tonight, what does it really mean to be born again? To have the Spirit of God change your heart and quicken you and and bring you into spiritual life and relationship with Jesus Christ and bring you into union with God. It's remarkable that that God's servant Peter speaks about being partakers of the divine nature. I believe whenever a man or a woman is born again, their life is radically changed. And this is something that is absolutely immutable. The language of our Lord makes it clear. Four times he uses the word verily, which means truly or most assuredly. Nicodemus, most assuredly, most assuredly, most assuredly, most assuredly, except unless a man is born again. Marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born 
again, George Whitfield, whenever he was wonderfully converted, along with John Wesley and Charles Wesley and others around about that time, having experienced the new birth, it was a truth that they proclaimed again and again and again and again, everywhere they went, telling men and women, you can be born again of the Spirit of God, and you need to be born again. Your life needs to be changed by God's grace, and you need spiritual life from above. It's not about religion. It's not about works. It's not about church. It's about this new birth, being born again. And the story is told, it's well known, that an old lady came to Mr. Whitfield after one of his meetings. He'd been preaching again in the new birth. And she says, Mr. Whitfield, I've traveled and I've followed you from village to village and town to town. And every time I hear you preach, you're always preaching. You must be born again. Why do you always preach in that same text? Mr. Whitfield says, well, it's very simple because you must be born again. He'd recognized how important it was. And multitudes in England and Scotland and Ireland and everywhere he went were very churchy and very religious, but many of them had never been born again. The new birth. The new Jerusalem is for those who have experienced the new birth. And then whenever you've experienced the new birth, the Bible also says that, that God gives you, Jesus Christ gives you a new name. Or a new identity, we might say, back in Revelation chapter 2 and writing to one of the churches, Revelation 2 and verse number 17, it's the church at Pergamos, the Lord says, To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone, and in the stone a new name written, which no man knoweth, saving he that receiveth it. A new name and that new name is spoken of again in chapter 3 and verse number 12. The church at Philadelphia. He that overcometh will I make a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go out no more, and I will write upon him the name of my God, and the, the name of the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem. A new name, it really speaks of a new identity. And you'll never have a new destiny unless you receive a new identity. Did you ever notice that so many times in the Word of God, whenever individuals had dealings with God, the Lord often modified their name or else changed their name completely? Abram became Abraham. Jacob became Israel. Simon became Peter. Saul became Paul. And I believe it illustrates the reality that whenever a person is born again of the Spirit of God and they're brought to Christ and Christ enters in, they receive a, a new identity. They become a citizen of heaven. Even though we're not in heaven yet, in this earth below, we are citizens of heaven. Our citizenship is in heaven. We become ambassadors for God. And this is seen in this new name that the Bible speaks about. The Old Testament speaks about it as well. Isaiah 56, 5 speaks about an everlasting name. The new name is an everlasting name. Isaiah 62, 2 says that the new name is a name which the mouth of the Lord shall name. Isaiah 65, 13, they'll be named by another name. 
And there's a sense in which this new name is secret. The name is not revealed to us now. But somehow it's the name of God. God puts his name upon his people. Not only does God put your name in the Lamb's book of life, and not only does God clothe you with the garments of salvation, but God marks out as distinct as people and the mark of the bloods upon them. And I believe the name of the Lord is upon them as well. God does not always show us what he's doing. And there are so many things that still remain to be revealed. And this new name is one of them. But as God looks down from heaven in this world of ours, he has marked out his people and he calls out his sheep by name and he puts his name upon his sheep. Have you received a new birth? Does God look at you tonight as an individual with a new name, a new identity? And then whenever we think about the new birth, and we think about the new name, the Word of God also speaks about a new nature. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature or a new creation. All things have passed away, and behold, all things have become new. And I believe tonight that the new birth must result in a new nature or a new creature. And that is marked out in the book of the prophecy of Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 36, God says in verse number 26, a new heart also will I give you, a new spirit will I put within you, and I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and ye shall keep my judgments, and ye shall do them. And so it's abundantly clear that the new birth, the new heart, regeneration results in a new nature, a new life of obedience, I will cause you to walk in my statutes, and ye shall keep my judgments and do them. Now, this is not a guilty, slavish, legalistic fear that a, an unconverted person might have whenever they see their sin and they see the holiness and the righteousness of God, and they go to the law of God, and they try to keep the law of God and tick all of the boxes to, to bring themselves into a place of favor with God. By the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. But whenever a person is born again of the Spirit of God, new birth, new identity, new nature, there's a, a new life of obedience, but it's a joyful obedience. It's like the Hebrew bondservant that we so often mention who's spoken of in Exodus 21. I love my master. I love my wife. I love my children. I will not go out free. I will serve him because I love him. I delight in the law of God after the inner man, the apostle Paul says. And this is what Paul's getting at when he says, if any man's in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things have passed away. All things are become new. Sometimes I think we undermine what a Christian really is. A Christian isn't just a person who believes certain truths. A Christian isn't just a person who acknowledges that the Bible is the Word of God. A Christian isn't just a person who says their prayers or goes to church or, 
or talks about God or attends a place of worship, but a Christian is a person who has been given a new nature. Peter speaks about it and he he talks about in 2 Peter 1.4 about being made partakers of the divine nature. Paul speaks about Christ in you, the hope of glory. We are living in a day of cheap grace and a day of easy believism. Whenever a person makes a profession of faith, we don't really look for any type of change at all. But I believe tonight on the authority of the Bible, whenever a person is truly converted and born again and the Spirit of God enters in, there's a new nature. Old things have passed away. The wicked and sinful things that they once loved and lived for, they're not important any longer. And the things that they once had no thought of or desire for at all become so important. The glory of God, the souls of men, the place of prayer, fellowship and intimacy with the Almighty, a life that pleases God, living with eternal values in view, a new life, as the old hymn writer said, heaven above was softer blue and earth around was sweeter green. Something lives in every hue that Christless eyes have never seen. And what a wonderful change in my life has been wrought since Jesus came into my heart. Can you say tonight that you've received a new birth? Have you been given a new name? Are you displaying tonight a new nature? I often tell the story, and I'm sure I've related before, Pastor Ivan Thompson, such a, a joyful man of God. And he used to tell the story shortly after his conversion, coming home from work late one night, his wife had been at him for a long, long time to, to, to get the hall painted and papered and decorated. And he'd put it off and put it off and put it off. And then he could stand her, her uh, orders no more. And he got his boiler suit on. And he got his knotted hanky in his head. And he got the, 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 the benches out for the paper. And he got his brushes and his paints out. And he was just about to get started. And there was a knock at the door. And he opened the door. And standing at his doorstep were two young Mormons. And he said, fellas, he says, I don't want to be ignorant, but I'm tired. And I don't really want to talk, and I have to do all this decorating. But he says, I'll, I'll, I'll give you this. If you can give me something better than what I've got, I'll listen to you. And they looked at each other, and then they looked at him and says, well, what have you got? And he says, well, boys, I've got my sins forgiven. I've got life worth living, and I've got a home in heaven. Can you give me something better? And they looked at each other, and they says, I don't think we can. And he says, well, I'll not detain you any further. And he closed the door, and he just got on with his painting and decorating. A new life. Sins forgiven. A life worth living. And a home in heaven. Many tonight are looking for a happy new year. But what they need is a holy new life, a life worth living. And that's the life that Jesus Christ offers you tonight. Behold, I came that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. He that hath the Son hath life, but he that hath not the Son shall not see life. Whenever you receive Jesus Christ as your Savior, He's the resurrection and the life. And He gives you a new life. It begins with a new birth. It comprises of a new name. 
It displays a new nature. It results in a new walk. Romans chapter 6 and verse number 4. Even so we should walk in newness of life. And isn't that what Ezekiel spoke about? I will put my, a new heart within them. I'll put my spirit within them and cause them to walk in my statutes. The psalmist David said, I waited patiently for the Lord my God, and at length he inclined unto me. He lifted me out of an horrible pit. He set my feet upon a rock. He put a new song in my mouth. What else did he do? He established my goings. A new walk. Walking according to his statutes. You see, the Word of God is instrumental in the new birth. And the Word of God is also integral in the new walk. And whenever Saul was converted that wonderful day on the road to Damascus, and he realized that Jesus Christ was living, risen, and ascended, do you remember what he said? Lord, what wilt thou of me to do? And his whole nature was changed. And because his nature was changed, his walk was changed as well. Whenever our Lord was conducting his earthly ministry, he performed what many refer to as sign miracles. And I believe that those sign miracles that the Lord were performed were performed with the view of doing two things. First of all, to display who he was. He was the one that was able to heal. He was the one that was able to cleanse. He was the one that was able to resurrect. He was the one that was able to change. And that showed his essential deity, that he was God manifest in the flesh. His sign miracles showed who he was, but his sign miracles also came to display what he came to do. He came to raise the dead out of the grave of sin. He came to open blinded eyes so that men and women could behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. He opened deaf ears so people could hear with the inner man the, the Word of God. And He also made the lame to walk, illustrating the fact that He came so that people might walk in newness of life. So much of the emphasis of the New Testament epistles speak about our walk. Walking in newness of life. As ye have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so also walk ye in Him. We walk by faith and not by sight. If we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ His Son cleanseth us from all sin. Paul speaks about a time where in time past ye walked according to the course of this world. The psalmist said, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. And the inference is that a godly man or a born-again individual will walk in newness of life. Can I ask you tonight simply, are you walking with God? Are you in fellowship with Christ tonight? As the same writer said, are you walking daily by the Savior's side? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? New heavens, new earth, new Jerusalem, new birth, new name, 
new nature, new walk. And only those who have experienced a new birth, who have been given a new name, who are displaying a new nature, who are walking in newness of life, can expect one day to be in a new destiny. Many people suppose that they're going to heaven. They suppose that they're going to the new Jerusalem. But I think tonight, friends, we need to be absolutely honest with ourselves and honest with the Bible and honest with God. These things are far too important. Have we ever been born again? Have we been given a new identity in Christ? Have we been given a new nature? Has our heart been changed? Are we walking in newness of life? Charles Haddon Spurgeon once said, if your theology doesn't change your behavior, it will never change your destiny. If your theology does not change your behavior, it will not change your destiny. And we could add to that and say, if grace, if God's grace and God's salvation has not changed your life or nature or behavior or walk or heart, it will not change your destiny. The new Jerusalem is for those who have been made new creatures in Jesus Christ. This is the last Lord's Day of 2023. It's the last gospel meeting of 2023. It's the last day of 2023. We could say it's your last opportunity of 2023 to really get right with God and to respond to the gospel invitation. One Less year to repent in. And perhaps one more year to repent of. What about it tonight? Your soul, your life, your destiny. Will you come to Christ? Call upon his name. Believe in him with all your heart. Repent of your sin. And have that assurance that you've been born again. Begin to walk in newness of life. And one day find yourself in the new Jerusalem. Salvation is of the Lord. Behold, the one in the midst of the throne says, I make all things new. He is the one that can save and change and transform. He's the one that can keep. And he's a wonderful Savior. Will you come to him tonight? Make this your night for God's salvation. Don't leave it another moment. Call upon the Lord where you sit. If we can help you, that's why we're here. But don't leave without God's salvation.